Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. Have you ever experienced someone that you respect shows up late? You know, they're not late because they're late. They're late because of the expectation that you put on that person. Have you ever, maybe you're that person. Some of you are so chronically late, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, um, I, as a youth pastor, as a youth pastor, Candace and I, there was one family in particular that we had to tell them everything started 30 minutes earlier than they actually started. So we would take these youth trips and we would, you know, we would travel and we would tell all the other families, hey, we're leaving at this time, but we send a special note to this one family and tell them 30 minutes or an hour before the time we told everyone else. And it was amazing. Every time they still showed up late. <laughs> when you have to tailor instructions to someone that's late, I mean, we've all experienced that. And some of it, it doesn't matter how many alerts we put on our phones some of you put double alert, like remind me 15 minutes early and then remind me five minutes before. It doesn't matter how many times you tell Siri to remind you to show up on time, you still show up late. And so this fascinating idea of, of showing up late and it connected to your expectation. It, it's connected to the time that you expect someone to come. And we start at four o'clock and for the most part, I, re, I re expect somebody to show up at four. Why? Because there's an expectation of four o'clock would be a time that we get together. And some of you have stretched that a little bit. Have you ever, have you ever, ever wondered, is God moving towards you? Or, or is he moving away from you? Or maybe he's not moving, he's just somewhere else waiting for you to move. You ever wondered the, the physics of God? You ever wondered, like, what does he operate by? What is, what, is his, what is the code to his physics of what determines if he moves or moves away or stays put? Is he angrily moving towards you? Is he happy to move towards you? Or is he happy to move away from you? Or maybe he's non emotional. Uh, what emotion does God have? What are, what's the emotional makeup of our creator? Is he happy to be running towards you or is he happy to be, happy to be running away from you? Some of us tell us what the right answer is, but our soul actually tells us what the real answer is. You see, each person in here has a different perspective on God. Some of us are similar. Some of us are different. And I'm sure if you've been alive long enough, you've interacted with people that have very different perspectives on if God's moving towards you, or if he's moving away from you, or if he's somewhere where you're supposed to go. But you see, the way that you view this, this dynamic, the, if you allow me, the physics of God, you know, some of us, we actually think it's dependent on the choices that we make. Some of us think in this room that if I make great choices, then God is moving to me. But the moment I make a bad choice or I don't do something right, then God stops 
And at minimum, he may not move towards me anymore, but he stops. And, and some of us, our narrative, our perspective, our paradigm on the physics of God is when we make a bad choice, he starts running away. Now, we all know the right answer. Maybe that's a little dramatic. Maybe we don't all know the right answer, but some of us say, oh, God's moving toward me because that's what we were told. That's what mom or dad or somebody told us. God is moving towards you, but deep in your soul, if you actually look at what's going on down there, it will reveal what you actually believe. And sometimes our motivation to make right decisions is to make sure God's moving towards us. So our perspectives are varied in this room. Our, we all have very different perspectives. And this idea of, is God moving towards us or not moving towards us? You know, as God created the universe, as stars were forming, as black holes were bending time and space, as planets were forming, he decided to make this rock called Earth. And on this Earth, he put you and I on this Earth, and he caused things to grow out of the ground so to sustain us, vegetables and plants and at least for five potatoes, as we learned that Stephen and Tanasha have this common denominator in Idaho and Alaska, potatoes. They resonate with potatoes. But God created this space called earth where stuff grows out of the ground to feed us, to sustain us. And then he created these creatures that walk along the surface of the earth that we get to eat. And then we, he created these things that fly that we get to eat. And then he created these things that swim in water that we get to eat. Like this is God. He created all of this. And I've always wondered, what was it like for God to create colors? Like what was going on like when he decided to make red? Like, what was he feeling? What was he thinking? Maybe he wasn't. I don't know, but I can't imagine he just accidentally created red. I actually believe it came from an essence of who he is and what he was thinking and what he desired. I'm going to make a color called red. And what's fascinating is our eyes only have the ability to see a certain spectrum of colors. So in other words, there are colors available that we don't even know exist. Pantone has no chance to describe all the colors in the universe. I mean, what was God thinking when he made the puffin? <laughs> if you don't know what a puffin is, Iceland, Iceland bird is the puffin. It's this mixture of a penguin and a bird and something else. I don't know, but it's called a puffin. And like, what was he thinking? Like, what would God think? And we think, I just want to make something so cute that lived in the most frigid part of the, the world. And there it is, puffin. And I, I don't know, it's a cool-looking little animal. The colors are spectacular, the lines, the, the shape. I mean, it's just a fascinating... I, I don't even know what God was thinking when he made fire ants. I don't get it. <laughs> Every year when I'm doing yard work, I, don't, I go, God, why do you create fire ants? There's no point to fire ants. So we, we are created, and God, God has created... I wonder what it's like for him as a father, as a master artist to create everything, and when we've learned something new about his creation, what excitement it brings to his heart. I wonder what that's like, because I know for moms and dads in this room or, or any human that's created something and someone finds out about it and it brings them to light and joy, amusement, or terror, 
there's something cool about that, like they experienced something that I created. Can you imagine what it's like for God that you and I, we stumble upon his creation, we stumble upon something new that in the dimension of time and space, imagine the joy that brings him. Imagine the joy that it brings him when you find out. And imagine all the species of animals and other things that we don't even know about that live under the surface of the water. And imagine what it's like in the next 20 years when we get more technology, more advancement. We're able to go deeper and farther into the depths of the oceans to find creatures and species and organisms that man didn't know existed. Imagine God just going, oh man, 20 years from now, they're about to find, it, they're about to find something that's going to blow their mind. You see, I believe God created because he loved to create, but I believe he created because he wanted to share it. He wanted to, and in the middle of all of this, he creates a human named Adam. He creates Adam, and then eventually he creates Eve. And there's this amazing verse in Genesis that says, they were naked and unashamed. That's a sign and a wonder right there. <laughs> to be naked and unashamed. It's usually one or the other, but to put those two together, we can't even register that in our psyche. But that was the design. God created man and woman, and they were naked and unashamed. And there's another cool verse in the Bible where it said, God walked with them in the cool of the day. So here we have at the very beginning of the story, we have the story where God is creating everything, and he creates man, and he creates woman. He's walking with them in the cool of the day. They are naked and unashamed. Talk about original design and beauty. Talk about freedom and liberty. Talk about, talk about the beauty of the essence of what God wanted. And then as time went on, sin entered the equation. Sin interrupted the human story. And, and post-sin, now we have God come back into the Garden of Eden, and he's been enjoying this communion with Adam and Eve. He's been enjoying the ability to come and commune with them. And he comes into the garden, and he can tell something's different. And he yells out, Adam, where are you? Which is so funny, because I don't think God really cared about the answer. He was just trying to engage. Like, if God doesn't know where you are, I don't know where you would go for God to tell, ask you, where are you? But he asked the question. He said, God, where, Adam, where are you? And then verse says, they were ashamed. You see, what sin does, sin enters the equation of the human story and makes you want to cover up. It makes you want to be full of shame. So unashamed and naked is God's original design. But sin's design is to make you cover up and be ashamed. And so here we have a problem with the human story. Let's fast forward a little bit farther into the Old Testament. And for those of you unfamiliar with Scripture, there's two major sections to the Bible. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament, also known as the Old Covenant and the new covenant. And the life of Jesus splits it right down the middle. So from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament, which is the last book in the Old Testament, was Malachi. And fast forward to roughly end of Genesis and Exodus, you have a man that God finds. His name is Moses. I don't have time to dive into the depth of the story, but go watch Prince of Egypt. It's a great little film. I actually was really discouraged that it was an animation. I was hoping it would be like a non-animation, but that's just my preference. 
But Moses, Moses is a man that God finds to set his people free. Because by that point, the nation of Israel were, and still to this day, is considered the children of God, just as we are. The cross changed the equation, but before the cross, the children of Israel were considered the children of God. God's nation, God's people. And they had been in bondage for roughly 400 years. And so now Moses stepped into the equation and he sets them free through a series of plagues. And it's a really bizarre story in Exodus, and you can go read it. I I like reading it every once in a while because it's just so bizarre. And they go out into the wilderness. And what's happening here is you see this story where God is, he's wanting to be among his people. He's wanting to be amongst his people. So the question I want you to ponder, is God moving towards you? Or is he moving away from you? Or is he static and you have to go to him? And so God calls Moses up and it happens frequently. He called him up to the top of this mountain. And he has these conversations with Moses. And to put it really simply short, he, he's conversing with Moses how to live and be a human being. What are the morals? What are the rights? What are the wrongs? What are the structure? This is what you do in these situations. And it's, it's exhaustive. You can get to Exodus, Leviticus, and you can get into the other book. It's an exhaustive. I mean, Moses wasn't just going up soaking. And for those of you who don't know what the word soaking means, it's okay. Well, I shall tell you what it is. Soaking means you lay in the presence of God. It's beautiful. But we have this mixed idea around Moses just soaking up on the mountain. No, Moses was working in God's presence. God was downloading him the code of what it means to be human, to set the course for humanity. So that's, that's what was happening. And the Ten Commandments comes out of that, the tablets. So we have this story, but there's just one moment I want to highlight before we move on to the next person in the human story. And in this moment, God called Moses up, and Moses comes off the mountain and he had been in the presence of God that he begins to glow, begins to shine. So much so that Moses had to put a veil over his face because the children would not be able to handle, the children of Israel wouldn't be able to handle the glory that shone from Moses. Another bizarre situation. But what is God doing? He's building a relationship with Moses. And you can see this form. If you were trying to create a trailer of the Old Testament, you couldn't do it in two or three minutes. What's happening from Genesis to Malachi, it's impossible to create a movie trailer. Like the, the timeline would have so many branches and offshoots, the screen wouldn't be able to take it. You would somehow have to try to introduce love and how sin, fear, and hate interrupted the great story of love. And then you fast forward to love being reintroduced to redeem and heal all of humanity. So you have a very complex story. And then you go to the book of Judges. How many have read Judges lately? Exactly. It's one of those books you don't go to often. Nobody raised their hand. That should say something. Oh, you have. Okay, that's amazing. 1.001% of the room have read Judges recently. Why? Why don't we read Judges more often? Because it's depressing. It's highly discouraging. It's hopeless. It is a perfect Story after story of the brokenness of humanity. It is the story of what happened when you don't obey God. And none of us like to know that too close because it freaks us out. 
And if you can read Judges over and over and over, what happens is God raises up somebody, the nation falls in sin, and it gets worse. And the next king or the next judge comes along or the next person comes along, and it says this one was worse than the one before. So by the time you get to the end of the story, it's so bad. That's why 0.1% of the room read the book of Judges. But there's actually another narrative in the book of Judges. If you actually look deeper, you'll see this narrative. It's God will continually look for people to save nations. No matter how horrible it gets, he will constantly find somebody. He's scouring the earth looking for someone, men or women, that are willing to give their life to see people get saved and redeemed and to be reconciled to the creator. That, there's two narratives in the book of Judges. There's what sin does, what humanity does in all of its brokenness. It is, it is so accentuated. The other story is God is looking for people to raise up. So the book of Judges is in a classic, classic illustration of God is actually looking to find people to raise up. Then in Isaiah, this is roughly 700 years prior to Jesus. In the book of Isaiah, if you have your Bibles or an app, open up to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read in verse 6 and 7. <clears throat> 700 years prior to the time of Jesus. Let's start in verse 6. For us, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Say that with me. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So as you look at the human story, you see the compounding effects of sin, the compounding effect of decision to disobey God. You see the compounding effect, and now there's interest. There's a hole so deep that humanity is in, nothing is working. And then this prophet Isaiah, in the middle of, you can read the whole chapter, read the whole book, but in the middle of him just prophesying and declaring and, and doing all the things that prophets do, in the middle of those two verses, for to us a son is born. And in the middle of that, there's a promise of a Messiah. There's a promise of a man that we would eventually call Jesus would come 700 years before. So if you were near any prophet, you would hear these stories that someone is coming. And then in Amos, you don't need to turn there, but you can write this down in your note. In the book of Amos, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, Amos is this obscure prophet named Amos. And he begins to paint this picture that God is going to rebuild the temple. He's going to tear down, he's going to create a new temple that all of humanity can worship. Now, this is hard for us in 2022 because we don't really have a great concept of what a temple represented. But if you go to other specific cultures, temples are places of worship. They're established locations on earth where you come to worship. 
I had the privilege of going to, I was traveling to a different country. We went a long layover in Istanbul in Turkey. I did. And I had eight hours layover. And I thought, I'm going in. I have eight hours. I'm going to go into Istanbul. And I almost didn't make it back to the airport. That's an entirely different story. I found out the American banking system does not like to use the Turkish, Turkish banking system. And I was almost held hostage by a taxi driver because they wouldn't get me out of, let me out of the taxi. That my plan was to jump out of the taxi, run into an alley, and hitchhike my way to the airport. But that's for another story for a whole other time. <laughs> that all happened in about four hours' time. So that's an entirely irrelevant story. But when I, before all that happened, I found the taxi driver and said, can you take me to the mosque? Take me downtown. I want to see what's going on here. And they took me down there. And as far away as their belief system is from my belief system, just the respect for a location to be a place of worship. See, temples are sacred to a lot of humanity. But you see, here's the challenge. When Jesus came, he literally made a physical temple secondary than what the temple was meant to be. And that was you and me became the temple. So Amos begins to prophesy this idea. There's a new temple coming. There's another temple coming. And you can imagine when you live in an era where a temple exists, you're thinking, oh, we're going to get a new one. We're going to get a new building. It's probably going to be next door or that plot of land over there. We're going to have a new temple. But Amos wasn't talking about a new physical building. He was actually talking about you and me becoming a place for Almighty God to live. So my question to you today, is God moving towards you? Is he moving away from you? Or is he static and you need to move towards him? What does your soul say to those questions? So now let's fast forward to the time of Jesus. Have you ever stopped and just thought for a moment about the insaneness of God's idea of sending Jesus to earth? Not just the idea of sending Jesus to earth, but how he was going to come. Like if we were God, we would not put him in a manger. We would not make him born discreetly in a small town in the Middle East somewhere. There should be a grand entrance. But God in his wisdom and brilliance said, I'm going to send the Messiah in the most discreet way I can send him. So much so that everyone will doubt that it's actually him. And he decides to send his Messiah, his son, Jesus. He decides to send him for Mary and Joseph. And only a handful of people recognized this was the one that Isaiah prophesied about. This is the one that the prophets of old pointed towards and said, someday this one's coming. Three wise men, a group of shepherds, and Mary and Joseph, and a small handful of people got to experience this is the one we've been hearing about for centuries. So my question to you, is God moving towards you? Is he moving away from you? Or is he static and you have to go to him? You see, what's happening right now in this time of year, this time of year, Christmas, is also known as the great interruption. What is God doing right now? He's interrupting your story. He's interrupting the human story. It's so fascinating being a pastor, and I was golfing the other day, and I was golfing with two younger guys. I feel old now because everyone's, not everyone, more people are younger than me that I hang out with. I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm definitely old and older. And, but I'm wiser and I like that part. <laughs> and they asked me, said, so how, what do you do for a living? And I, and I 
said pastor. What's interesting, living in the South, when you say pastor, that's your respect. You're like, oh, yeah, you're a pastor. In California, that was the last thing you told people what you did. Uh, I'm an author. I'm a speaker. I, uh, you know, I, I, do, I uh, create content. Here you say, I'm a pastor. Like, oh, that's cool. That's awesome. It's a whole new experience. I remember the first time I would ask what I did in the South, and I was like a pastor, and the response was shocking. I was not used to the receptiveness of it. It was like, oh, wow, the South like pastors. That's so different. I'm not used to that. <laughs> and they asked me, what do you do? I thought, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, that's cool. What denomination? And where are you? And I'm like, what do you guys do? And we're just having this small talk. And they said, so how long have you been a pastor? And I said, ah, oh, 25, 26 years. Like, oh, wow, we didn't think you were that old. <laughs> that's what they said. And we were playing night golf, so they couldn't see my complexion. You know, they, just, they couldn't see my features. And it's, it's interesting being a pastor for lots of reasons. But the one I want to highlight right now is I get the privilege and the opportunity and the, uh, the, um, I engage with a lot of people. And it's so fascinating to engage with people's perspectives on God. And the one that, the one that makes me the saddest is when they literally believe God is running from them. Even people that their head says, God is moving toward me, God loves me, but deep inside, they actually don't believe that. They say all the right thing, but their soul is saying something else. And I know there's moments in my life where I feel like God running from me. Or I feel like he's static and he's not coming towards me, he's actually staying put and he's waiting for me. But I'm going to tell you something. The more you look at the story of Jesus Christ, it's clear God is running to you. You can add up all the sin in the world over all of humanity from the beginning of time to today. All the brokenness, all the despair, the hopelessness, the fear, the sin, and the repetitiveness of these same decisions. And guess what? God still sent his son. He sent his son because he's moving to you. God doesn't move to you. One, he is always moving towards you. It's called the great interruption. He is interrupting your story over and over and over. There's a verse in the Bible that says his train fills the temple. The idea of God is coming into the temple. The actual idea behind that, he continues to come. He doesn't come and that's it. He's always coming. He's not coming into a physical building. He's coming into your life over and over and over again. The shadow side of love and faith and hope is despair. It's disbelief. It's hate. It's shame. Those are all the shadow sides of God. There are three words that sum up who God is. Faith, hope, and love. He is looking to instill that, create that reality around you. He will always come toward you. So you're someone that's filled with hope. Someone that's filled with love. Someone that knows what it means to have faith in something beyond understanding. This is why God is continually coming towards you. And my prayer is that this season of Christmas, every day is another reminder of faith, hope, and love. He is interrupting your story. He is coming in. He's going to constantly interrupt your story. So you may sit here today and think, God is moving away from me. He's static. I'm telling you what, the overarching narrative throughout Scripture, he's moving towards you. 
and that's where I want you to get. I want you to get no matter what happens in the next month of your life, no matter how many awkward family conversations you have, no how much pain you experience or despair or anger or hate, no matter what you experience, that you recognize this, God is moving to you. It's the greatest interruption in all of humanity. It's God sent his son, Jesus. And this is what we get to do this month, is we get to celebrate his life. We get to celebrate his birth and his coming. We get to celebrate everything that Jesus did. The humility, the humble, the innocence of the entire story. And my prayer that every gift you open is another reminder of Jesus coming to you. That every bite of food you eat, every candy cane you eat, every Christmas carol you sing, or every awkward movie, whatever, anything that happens in the next month of your life is another reminder that God is moving to you. And so if you think the decisions you've made in your life are enough to keep God away from you, then don't forget the overarching reality. All of humanity's sin actually caused him to come. All of humanity's sin. All of it combined, God said, I'm still coming. I'm still coming. So no matter what you do in your life from this day forward, the great decisions, the worst decisions, the broken parts of you, and how you live that out, God's like, I'm still coming. In fact, I've been coming since day one, and I will continue to come. Because I want to build in you faith, hope, and love. Why don't you stand? Thanks for listening, and we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.